0: Thank you, Lindsay. Morning, everybody. My name's Kirk. I'm youth and young adults minister here. Uh, great to be with you. I have had a bit of a cough this week, so uh, please excuse me if a couple of times I have to sort of. Uh, shouldn't hold us up too much, I wouldn't think. Uh, also, great to be preaching on the day of Est- as baptism. That's a real privilege. And so it's great uh, that that's been part of our service already. A few weeks ago, it was my brother-in-law's 30th birthday party. And one of the party activities, uh, perhaps the only party activity really, apart from cake and so on, was uh, based on this TV show called Letters and Numbers. Hands up if you've seen that show, Letters and Numbers. Okay, I'd never heard of it, but we were playing an activity based on what happens on that show. Basically, we were given some numbers and we had to come up with a mathematical equation to make them equal 30, okay? So down the bottom on the screen there is the numbers we were given, one, two, three, and six. I know some of the nerd alerts among you are already trying to work it out. What could we do? And so everyone at the table is doing this activity and putting numbers in brackets and some numbers to the power of others to try and make the whole thing equal 30. And and I won really quickly by doing this. 23 plus one plus six equals 30. Then I was told by the sore losers in the party, that you're not allowed to put two and three together to make 23 like that. That's not how the game works. Uh, So I ended up losing the game, and somebody with a more complicated uh, answer and equation uh, ended up winning. Now, I'm enjoying our series on the book of James, and I think one of the reasons I enjoy it is that he doesn't get into complicated theories or lost in sort of dense theology He just just gets straight to the point. Like I did in the numbers game, he just cuts through all that. He goes, God says to do this, so let's do it. (laughs) He's a very straight talker. He doesn't faff around. He doesn't sugarcoat things to make us feel a little bit better about it. Uh, He doesn't give us ways to argue out of what God has commanded us to do. He just gets straight to the point. Think of it like this. James is the opposite to all the interviews we're seeing with politicians at the moment. Okay, where they try and read, oh, that's a tough question. Let's redirect it somewhere else and then I'll tell you my slogan. That's not what James does. He just gets to the heart of things. And so you might ask, well, if he's such a straight talker and it's so straightforward in the passage, why, why do we need Kirk to talk about it? I mean, why can't we just read it and then Kirk can sit down? So that's what I'm going to do. Now, now, there's two random applause. Very rude round of applause. That's a rude round of applause. That one over there for the baptism was good. That one was rude. No, so... Uh, there's two reasons I think we should, it's worth spending more time in it. One is James has a bit of a machine gun approach to the points in his, in his writing. So, you know, he just loads up all his points and just goes, boom, 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 and you sort of got to keep up with them. Uh, so there's a lot in every section of the book of James. Uh, but also, more seriously, I think when we're confronted with something uncomfortable in the Bible, we're very good at pretending that we didn't hear it. You know, or that we didn't read it. And... James often presents things that might make you feel uncomfortable and so it's worth sitting with them a little bit, talking through them a little bit so that we hear them clearly and so we don't just go, oh, I don't like the sound of that and move on. Now in today's passage, James is talking about friendship with the world. So that's what we're going to look at today. What is friendship with the world and why should Christians be concerned about it or aware of it? And in typical James style, he gets right to the point in verse 4 where he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity towards God, against God? Enmity is basically, uh, you set yourself up in opposition. So you're hostile. If you've got enmity towards God, you're hostile towards God, it's like he's your enemy. Uh, he says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So he compares people who are friends with the world with people who are cheating on their husband or their wife. Right, so if we, if we want to rephrase it or summarize it, we could say, you dirty cheats! Don't you know that friendship with the world means you've declared war against God? This is what's going on with... Friend, you know, and so in short, uh, friendship with the world is a type of sin. All sin separates us from God and friendship with the world is doing that as well. Now, just a reminder, James is writing to Christian people in this book, right? So he's already taking a few, he's assuming a few things. He's assuming the readers have a relationship with God, they believe in the Bible and they believe Jesus rose from the dead. But he's also addressing people who believe those things and are choosing to be friends with the world over their friendship with God. I wonder if you're doing that in one area of your life or more areas of your life at the moment. I mean, what would that look like, I guess, is is a fair question. fairly simple if we think about our friendship with another person. So what's involved in a normal sort of decent friendship? Well a friend is someone you put your trust in, Uh, it's a friend is someone you would go to with your problems, a friend is someone who you would listen to their advice, you might even seek their approval for your actions and you would spend time with that person. So when we become friends with the world, we do all those things with what's going on in our culture. We stop trusting God, we stop listening to God and instead we just start doing what everyone else is doing. So when it talks about the world in this passage, it's basically a description of whatever's going on in the general culture around us. Now, we need to be sure though to not criticise culture too much and go, well, everything about Melbourne culture is bad. Everything about Diamond Creek, Creek culture is bad. That is not, I, I don't think that's the point. You know, our, like, there's lots of good things about living here, isn't there? Like our society, for example, of all the places to live in the world, if you have a disability or you're really sick or unwell, it, this is a great part of the world to live because the support, it's not perfect system, but the systems we have in place to support people in that regard are amazing here. Uh, I also like the Aussie attitude of giving everyone a fair go. It's good to have that as part of our culture. It's good to have a sense of humour as a key point in our culture. It's good that we have simple things like education and food and drink and all those sort of things. They are good things. There's lots of good things about our culture. But also, no culture is perfect. And if you were to just follow the teaching of our culture 100% in every area of life, you would run into a lot of problems. For example why don't you try taking the romantic relationship advice of our culture and see how that goes? Because statistically, it's not working out well. With more de facto and marriage relationships splitting up than ever before, it's not, not doing too well if you're going to follow the advice of the world there. Well, how about some advice that I got uh, at a previous workplace, which wasn't a church, a guy took me aside and said, an older guy, he said to me, if I could give you one piece of advice in life, it would be to trust no one look out for number one, don't trust anyone else. And I thought to myself, well, if I wanted to be a paranoid loner, I guess that would be good advice. But otherwise, I'm not sure that's going to lead to a particularly fulfilling life. However, that's a kind of common theme in our culture, actually. Look after number one, you can't trust other people to look out for you, you've got to look out for yourself. So if you take that on board, you're going to experience loneliness and you're going to, not going to experience very good or deep trusting relationships. So friendship with the world can actually lead to some bad life circumstances. So practically, it's not always the right thing to do. But more seriously than that, or an extra layer to it, as it says in verse 4, is that friendship with the world actually makes us an enemy of God. He unpacks it a little bit in verse 5, although verse 5, it is a little bit confusing. When I read it, I wasn't exactly sure what it was getting at. Um, Here's a translation that I think is a bit more helpful. Um, James says that the scriptures, the Bible, they say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. So every person who's a Christian has God's spirit living inside them and God wants everyone who has God's spirit living inside them to be faithful to him. And he doesn't want them to be going off and prioritising other relationships. And actually, when we do that, and when we sort of put him aside and go and do other things, that gets him fired up. He gets angry about it. Now, I would say every one of us in this room has been friends with the world at some time in one way or another. So what's the solution, right? What, what's the answer to this? Well, the answer comes in verse 6. Have a look at that. Um, but God gives us more grace. And this is often God's solution, actually, (laughs) is to give people grace, which is an excellent thing given the amount of times we stuff up. But he says that's why Scripture says God opposes the proud and favours the humble. Okay, So yes, God is not happy with our sin. He is not happy when we are friends with the world in ways that cause all sorts of problems, in ways that reject Him. But His solution is to show us more grace. Grace is when God shows us His favour even when we've done nothing to deserve it. And his unconditional love given to us, even though we don't deserve it. And when we do that... Sorry, i um, sorry. And then when we receive grace, the best way to receive grace is with a humble attitude or a humble heart, in humility. Um, so that's why... Uh, so, so humility is, is this thing where you have a low to moderate view of your own importance. Okay, now it's not false humility. This is false humility. take, take Gary Ablett Jr. Right, wins the Brownlow Medal, best player in the AFL a couple of years back. Uh, if he had have got up at, for his speech at, at his acceptance speech and said, "Ah, oh, I'm not really that good at football," would that be humble? No, that's just lying. He's really good at football, right? But what he did do, and I think it was a reasonably humble speech, my memory of it, was he said well, thank you for the award and so on, and yeah, I am fairly, fairly good at football, but I couldn't have done this without help from other people. Uh, he's a Christian, so he said, I couldn't have done it without my relationship with God, and also, I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> and he sort of sh- showed us that, yeah, I'm good at football, but this isn't, that doesn't mean I'm perfect at everything. And it's quite a humble way to, do, to think of it. So think about it like this. Um, humility is saying, I am important, but I'm no more important than anyone else. Okay. If you're too proud to admit that you need God's help, if you're too proud to admit that you're not perfect, then you probably won't accept God's gift of grace (laughs) because you think you don't need it. But if you have a humble attitude, you admit to God that you need his help, then his his grace is guaranteed. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now this humility thing, living as a humble person, That's easier said than done. Verse 7, 8 and 9, I think, give us a bit of a challenging view of it. Have a look at those verses with me. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, sometimes what people like to do, if they're wanting to be critical of Christianity, uh, it's very easy to pick a sentence or a verse out of the Bible, apply it to every part of life, and then say how silly Christianity is. So, if you were to read verse 9, and look at this, okay. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, if you took that in isolation, you could go, see, Christians hate fun. They're the fun police. They don't want anyone to enjoy life. Look what they want. They just want us to sort of wallow around in sort of all the negative feelings. Typical of Christians, they're so negative. You could easily do that, right? But that would be deeply unfair to what James is actually saying if you actually look at the context of where that, what this section is saying. So to start with, he's writing to Christians, right? So if you are a Christian and if you have been friends with the world in the negative way that James is describing and if you acknowledge that's bad, and that you want to draw near to God again, then you should humble yourself, which involves being sorry for the wrong things that you've done, which involves some sort of sorrowful emotion. Not like, hey, party, happy, laughter emotion, but like mourning and grief and those sort of emotions. It is completely appropriate and right for you to be emotionally upset about your own sin. In fact, if you're not, if you've never felt upset about your own sinfulness, then I'm suggesting to you, that you're not taking sin seriously enough, that you haven't really realised the whole it makes you an enemy of God thing that James is talking about here. It requires certain types of upset emotion. And so for myself, I've been thinking about this all week and I'm like, how much have I actually humbled myself before God? Like, how much have I really given every single part of my life to God? How much have I said, God, all I am is yours? When have I not held something back for myself and sort of kept that bit away from God? On some days, I think, yeah, I fully submitted to God. On all the other days, I'm not so sure. I met a Christian guy once a few years back and he was trying to live out the advice that Jesus gave a rich young man uh, in Mark chapter 10. Jesus and this rich fellow had a bit of a discussion. Uh, This guy wanted to... uh, be deeper in his relationship with God. And so Jesus said to him in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So this guy I met, he was doing that. So he literally went and sold everything he had except for the clothes that he was wearing and lived like that for a number of months in Melbourne in an attempt to get closer to God. And he said it was an overall good experience for him. It was very deeply challenging, but it was also a great learning experience. But he also admitted it was tinged with disappointment because he'd hoped that his relationship with God would have gone deeper than it it had during that time. He hoped it had improved more than it had. But then he admitted to me that as much as he'd given up everything, he'd also put a condition on it, and that was that God would find him a lady to marry. So this Aussie guy had humbled himself as much as any Aussie person I've seen as far as material possessions is concerned, and yet he still had this extra thing over there that he hadn't submitted to God. He was in, in, way, in a way, he was being a friend of the world in that sense because what's the world's teaching about you know, romantic relationships is if you're not in one, you're not a complete person. That's what our culture teaches you. God doesn't teach that. God says... You're complete already, because you're completely loved, whether you're in a romantic relationship or not. Despite his efforts to humble himself, he still had that section where he was friends with the world. Now, why am I telling you that? I'm just saying, humbling yourself is not a simple, easy thing to do. Uh, it's, it's an ongoing challenge. I'm not saying it to put you off doing it, Say, ah, oh, it's too hard. <laughs> Don't worry about humility, just you know, do whatever. But understand that it's, to- it's totally worth doing, but it is a-, a stressful thing to do. And you'll probably have a bunch of grief and wailing as you go through that in your life. All worthwhile, but it's a harder road to take. Okay, let's, let's think about application, practically. What, what does this mean? How-, how are we to live? Um, I was a bit surprised about the application James offers. He, offers. he sort of starts us off at the start, verse 1, and then... Brings it back at at the end of this section. So verse 1 he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So the issue he's identifying here is sort of fighting amongst Christians, arguments amongst Christians. And he picks it up in verse 11. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. When you slander someone, you're, you're basically lying about them or you're saying things that damage their reputation. You're usually doing it behind their back. Um, And in verse 12, he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. So that's God. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? So James gives us this application from today's passage is about how we speak about each other at church. Now, I say this is unexpected because I didn't immediately make the connection between Friendship with the world, humbling yourself, and like church infighting. I didn't draw the dots straight away on that one, but the more I've thought about it, the more I've reflected on this, the more it actually makes sense. Let's have a think about it for a moment. How does the world deal with disagreement? Let's zoom out, we'll zoom in as we go, right? On a grand scale, one nation doesn't like another or has a disagreement with another. What do they do? Declare war. You know, verse 2 actually summarises nearly all wars, I think, where James says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And that's basically what happens in war. You've got something we want, you're not giving it to us, we're going to kill you and take it. And this happens throughout history, it's continuing to happen heaps at the moment. Or, within your own country, you don't like your government, so you decide to fight your own government. So Islamic State is probably the most uh, headline worthy you know, thing that's been happening in recent years, but Christian groups have done the same thing, you know, at times in the past, claiming to be Christian anyway. Zoom in a bit. We're in the middle of election campaign. You don't have to watch the news for very long at all to see one side of politics slander another side of politics. They're really good at it. And they're really good at just... Have you noticed how good they are at taking statistics and report and making the other side seem bad? Like, I think they could take a report on anything and use it as a weapon against the opposition in politics. So we have this. This is just the way it goes about, slandering each other. Have you seen some of the ads about the election on TV? Is there anything about what they actually stand for? No, it's all just like hammering the other, the other team. Zoom in a bit further. I've experienced firsthand uh, how gossip can tear apart a workplace. Not my current workplace, I'm sure you'll be pleased to know. This is when I was doing community radio. Um, People said horrible things about each other behind each other's back. Mostly lies or really unfair exaggerations and it would just, it tore our organisation apart several times in the time I was there. Zoom in even further, really local. I do a little bit of student counselling now at Dime Valley College in the wellbeing centre there. I reckon 40% of what we talk about as a wellbeing team with students Is fallout from gossip and nasty things that have been said about other people at school either verbally or or online and that can just lead to all sorts of horrible things happening at school plus it can lead to actual like physical violence punch-ons and so on and anyone who was here a few weeks ago after the violence across the road we know the devastating consequences that can come from people punching on. The world's pretty good at starting fights, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And the way we deal disagreement with, with disagreement generally, the way of the world, is to fight it out and to try, for somebody to try and win. We're not as good at showing grace to each other. There are examples of that around the world, but it's a lot harder to find examples of people showing grace to each other. But here's the thing, right? If you're a friend with the world then when you get in a disagreement with each other, you're likely going to go the way of the world and turn that into a fight. Start slandering people, you know, turn it into gossip and that sort of thing. Because if you follow the way of the world, as I said, it's really bad at grace. Tell you who's really good at grace? God! He's excellent at it. And we know this because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're reminded of God's grace every time we remember Jesus. Every time we sing about Jesus in church, every time somebody gets baptized and we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, every time we share communion together, we're remembering how good God is at grace. Now think about it. If you're a humble person, if you're genuinely seeking to live in humility as much as you can, then you're not going to sit back and criticize other people. You might still disagree with them. You might not like what they do. But that's not going to put you in a situation where you go, well, I'm good and they're bad. Instead, if you're a humble person, you're more likely to get alongside them, talk with them, help them through it. That's what it says in verse 12. James just says, but you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Yeah, I mean, God has shown us what's right and wrong, but we're not to use that as a tool for, pe- for feeling superior to other people. Instead, that should remind us that we're all sinners, we're all being friends with the world in different ways and that we all need to turn back to God in humility, asking for his grace. So is slander a problem at our church? You bet it is. If you've been here long enough, you've slandered someone else at church in one way, big or small. That's the reality of church being full of imperfect people. But if you're in the middle of it now, if you're a gossip, if you're someone who slanders people regularly or you've got a bit of a mission to take someone down, you need to stop that. <laughs> it's time to stop and, and seek humility. Seek God in humility and know that when you do that, His grace is waiting for you. It's there, ready for you to take. Now, of course, church infighting is just one example. This is the example that James chose to to focus on as far as friendship with the world. I'm sure you could think of others. Maybe you're stuck in another, you know, another area of your life, you're stuck in friendship with the world there. If you are, what I really want to encourage you to do is don't leave today without praying with someone. We have our prayer ministry team who meet in the... If you go out that door there and just head towards the, the door, the last door on your right, there is a prayer ministry team there after the service. They'd love to pray with you. And I encourage you to go there. In humility, it's a humble thing to do to ask someone to pray for you and to reject that friend, that unhelpful friend of the world and embrace friendship with Christ. Let me pray to finish. Father God, I thank you for the book of James. Um, His straight talking does present us with some uncomfortable things. And yeah, we've all... We've all been friends with the world in unhelpful ways. We're sorry for that. We know it hurts you, we know it hurts us, and it hurts other people. Um, thank you for your forgiveness that you show us through Jesus. Pray that if we're stuck in this at the moment, for people here who are, are really stuck in their friendship with the world, they feel caught in that, trapped in that. Pray that you will show them a way through right now, that you'd you'll be filling them with your spirit. They could see Jesus in that context and they could see a way through, see a better way that embraces grace and humility. I ask that you give them the courage to do that and ask that through your spirit you would help them know that they are loved all the time as they go through that process. Amen. Thank you Kirk we're going to continue.